Welcome to Saving Grace Church, located in Indiana, Pennsylvania. Our mission at Saving Grace Church is to love God, love others, and reach the world for Christ. We hope that this message brings you closer to God and helps strengthen your walk with Christ. Good morning, everyone. Um, my name's Joe. If I haven't met you yet, I'm one of the pastors here. And I think you've heard it through Dave, you heard it through Rachel, but IUP students, we love you. We are excited that you are back. And we have a number of IUP students who were raised in the church who are now going to IUP. And then we have a number of students, my daughter being one, who grew up in this church and have gone or are about to go out to other universities. So we got people coming and going all over the place. Uh, I'm an emotional mess. We dropped our daughter off this week. Um, it, we did great. And then last few days, a little harder than, than we thought. So when I pray, I'm going to pray for the sermon today. I'm going to pray for IUP students. And I never prayed for parents before because I just never experienced it from a parent's perspective. So those of you who have come from other places, we're going to pray for your mom and dad today as well, especially if you're freshmen. So let's pray. Holy Spirit, thank you for your word. Thank you for all the people that are coming and going. Lord, we pray for all the students that are going to be leaving this week and going to universities that you have called them to be a part of. We, we pray that you would use them for your glory. You would guard their faith. You would encourage them. And you'd be glorified through them. you provide friendships for them. Lord, for those who are here from other places, Lord, we pray that while they're here, they would experience a, a Christian family, a church family. They would encounter you. They would experience your love and care. Lord, and we pray for their moms and dads that are um, just sad with the, the, the leaving of their children. And uh, Lord, we pray you would encourage them. We know this is just a natural next step. Um, but Lord, it can be hard. And so we, we pray for all of the above. And Holy Spirit, we ask that you would be honored through the preaching of your word. And we ask this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Well, if you have a Bible or you have a phone, um, pull up Psalm 116. Today is our last psalm um, in our series, Singing Through Every Season. Uh, next week, Mark Altrogi is going to uh, preach a passage on worship, and then we're going to be heading to the book of Ephesians in September. So if you want to know where we're going, that's where we're going. Uh, to prepare us just to get our mind around this passage a little bit, raise your hand if you remember uh, in 2018 the soccer team in Thailand that was trapped in a cave. Does anybody remember? Okay, a lot of you remember that. Well, let me just give you a little details about it. And there is a really fascinating documentary called The Rescue, I believe on Netflix, that um, just describes and captures what happened in great detail. But here's just a little snapshot. In June and July of 2018, a junior association football team, soccer team, and their assistant coach were rescued from Tam Luang Nang Nan Cave um, in Chiang Rai province in northern Thailand. Twelve members of the team, ages 11 to 16, and their 25-year-old assistant coach entered the cave on June 23rd after soccer practice. Shortly thereafter, heavy rain partially flooded the cave system, blocking their way out and trapping them deep within. So they were literally trapped in this cave for weeks because the monsoon season came early and it trapped them. 
and they, they were stuck. They had no uh, human way in and of themselves to escape. And if you read about this or you um, watch the documentary, thousands of people were committed to the rescue of um, all of these young men. And they were all rescued between July 8th and July 10th. So they had been there for quite some time. And the rescue is fascinating. I'm not going to spoil that part of the documentary, but never seen anything like it. But I want you to imagine, it's now four years later, and you were one of those young men. Think about how grateful you would be, particularly for the divers that risked their lives to rescue you. You would have appreciation for them that no one would have to tell you. It wouldn't be like your mom or dad saying, hey, I think you need to write them a thank you card. No, you would just naturally want to thank the whole team of people uh, that use their expertise, skill, and risk their own lives to rescue you. Now, I want you to imagine that you're in a life-threatening situation that is so difficult, so impossible, and no human is coming to your rescue. You are helpless and hopeless, humanly speaking. Well, the author of Psalm 116, he, he finds himself in that situation. And we don't know the details. We just know that his life was threatened. We know that humans were not coming to his aid. And he had one hope and one help. So let's jump into Psalm 116. We're going to read the whole thing. And then we're going to walk our way through it. And Psalm 116 is part of a group of psalms. Um, that starts at 113 to 118, that were used in the celebration of the Passover. So Jesus would have sang this psalm in celebration of the Passover year after year after year. So listen as I read. I love the Lord because he has heard my voice and my pleas for mercy because he inclined his ear to me. Therefore, I will call on him as long as I live. The snares of death encompassed me. The pangs of Sheol laid hold of me. I suffered distress and anguish. Then I called on the name of the Lord. O oh Lord, I pray, deliver my soul. Gracious is the Lord and righteous. Our God is merciful. The Lord preserves the simple. When I was brought low, he saved me. Return, O my soul, to your rest, for the Lord has dealt bountifully with you. For you have delivered my soul from death, my eyes from tears, my feet from stumbling. I will walk before the Lord in the land of the living. I believed even when I spoke. I am greatly afflicted. I said in my alarm, all mankind are liars. What shall I render to the Lord for all his benefits to me? I will lift up the cup of salvation. I will call on the name of the Lord. I will pay my vows to the Lord in the presence of all his people. Precious is the sight of the Lord, is the death of his saints O oh Lord, I am your servant. I am your servant, the son of your maidservant. You have loosed my bonds. I will offer to you the sacrifice of thanksgiving and call on the name of the Lord. 
I will pay my vows to the Lord in the presence of all his people. In the courts of the house of the Lord, in your midst, O Jerusalem, praise the Lord. The title of this sermon is The God Who Hears. The God Who Hears. The good news we find in the Bible is that the God who made heaven and earth is attentive to our cries to him, particularly when we trust in his son. And we're going to see that as we walk through Psalm 116. But to prepare us, I know school is about to start for everybody. Um, I'm going to just read a massive run-on sentence from Charles Spurgeon. Somehow he just gets away with it. So, and those of you who are really good at grammar, um, maybe it's not a run-on sentence. I'm not sure. Uh, listen to this. This is, this is Charles Spurgeon's summary of Psalm 116. Personal love fostered by a personal experience of redemption is the theme of this psalm. In other words, the psalmist personally encountered God's love and now he's responding. And in it we see the redeemed answered when they pray, preserved in time of trouble, resting in their God, walking at large, sensible of their obligations, conscious that they are not their own, but bought with a price, and joining with the ransomed company to sing hallelujahs unto God. In other words, this psalm just erupts with a heart of thanksgiving and gratitude, not because of theoretical truths about the Lord, but because of personal experience and encounter with the living God. So that brings us to the first point. The Lord hears and responds when we call to him. He hears and he responds. So it wouldn't be real encouraging if God hears everything, but he does nothing when we call to him. That would make us not want to respond in love, not want us to respond in trust. But we find in the Bible, God hears and he acts. He responds. Look at verses one through four again. I love the Lord because he has heard my voice. Think of all the voices in humanity. He hears your voice and my pleas for mercy because he inclined his ear, his all-powerful, all-loving ear to me. Therefore, I will call on him as long as I live. That one encounter produces a lifelong devotion to the Lord. The snares of death encompassed me. The pangs of Sheol, or the grave, laid hold of me. I suffered distress and anguish. Then I called on the name of the Lord. O Lord, I pray, deliver my soul. I actually love that the psalmist doesn't give us the specific details of his duress, of his predicament of the situation he was in. We, we, we don't know if it was primarily physical. We don't know if it was the threat of others. We don't know if it was a combination of both. All we know is it was a very desperate situation. Like the, the story I started with at the beginning, those young men were, were in a desperate situation that they were doomed to die without rescue. The psalmist likewise 
is in this desperate situation. And he cries out, and the Lord responds. And the result is this heartfelt commitment that I will follow you wherever you want me to go. I will obey you because of the mercy and love that I have received. See, spiritually speaking, all of us who have called on Jesus have experienced the ultimate rescue. I mean, Rachel did a beautiful job of summing up the human predicament and the rescue and deliverance that Jesus provides. If you've called on Jesus Christ, you've experienced something far greater than the soccer team in Thailand experienced, something far more desperate. See, prior to trusting in Jesus, you were on the precipice between heaven and hell. And if you died or I died apart from Jesus rescuing us, we would experience eternity in hell. But God sent Jesus to rescue us. And so we can be confident that he loves us and that he will hear us when we call. The gospel, the good news of Jesus, really is the ultimate evidence that God hears us, that God responds to us. Consider this in 1 John 4.19. We love because he first loved us. We love, our hearts respond in love and obedience to Jesus because he first loved us. God doesn't love us because we loved him or we tried to clean ourselves up first. No, he loves us first. And then we respond to that love. One of the reasons I get so excited about the fall semester and spring semester of IUP is because I met Jesus during my college years here at IUP. And so I have great faith that the Lord can do incredible things in the most unlikely people because he's a God of mercy and love. One of the things that I marvel at every year I have a birthday, so as August 21st happens to be the day, and I believe I was born in the very early hours of the morning. When I think of 46, now depending on your age, some of you, oh man, he's old, or some of you thought, well, I thought he looked older than that, or some of you thought, well, he's just a baby. You know, it's all, it's all relative, right? When I, when I every, every year, so I have a Bible, I write notes in, so I did it again this morning, and, and thank the Lord for another year. Um, one of the things I remember really vividly every single year I have a birthday is I was really confident I would not make it out of my 20s because of the, the partying I did, because of the friends I, I hung out with, because of the lifestyle I lived. Not many were, were going to make it. They were either going to be in prison or they were going to die. Um, and so I just resolved that that was fine. Um, one of my theme songs uh, from the Grateful Dead in that time period was, I might be going to hell in a bucket, but at least I'm enjoying the ride. So it's this foolish, I'll just go for it, and I'll probably die in my 20s. That'll be that. So now I'm way past my 20s with no reason other than God loved me first. That's the only explanation that I have for the fact that I'm alive, the fact that I'm saved. I remember in my early 20s, I had been a Christian for a few years. My next door neighbor, Chris, who introduced me 
to the lifestyle and a lot of the substances I participated in. Um, he had died of a heroin overdose, and I went to his funeral as a married, born-again Christian with a lot of people that I knew, um, and they all went to the bar before they went to the funeral, so they're all trashed at the funeral. And the only difference between me and them was that God showed his love to me through his son Jesus and gave me grace to respond. So no matter who you are, if you trust in Jesus, you will be forgiven, the guilt, the shame, all of that washed away, and you will be made new. And when you call on the Lord, he will respond. Listen to this. John 3, 16 through 18. For God so loved the world. This is God's heart for the world who's in radical rebellion against him. That he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world. But in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned. But whoever does not believe is condemned all ready because he has not believed in the name of the only son of god see we can be even more confident than the psalmist who was writing this with great confidence because now we see jesus much more clearly than the psalmist would have seen jesus and so we've experienced god's mercy and god's love and we can be confident when we call on the lord he will respond every time Look at verses 1 and 2 again. I love the Lord because he heard my voice and pleas for mercy. Because he inclined his ear to me, therefore I will call on him as long as I live. Do you remember that first time you called on Jesus for mercy and he responded? Well, the natural reaction should be, Lord, where Whatever you call me to go, whatever you call me to do, I'm in. I am yours because I have experienced and received incredible love and mercy. Now, there may be a few of you that think, I, I just don't think he's going to respond if I call to him. Listen to this verse from the book of Romans. For everyone or Anyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. You're no exception. No matter how messy, dark, disturbing your past has been. When you call on Jesus, he will save you. He will forgive you. He will restore you. Well, this, this should provoke us to ask a question. Why would God respond to us? Why would God hear our cry for help. He wouldn't have to do that. Why would he do that? You think of all the crazy things that have happened in the world present day and throughout human history. Why would he respond? Well, the answer to that has everything to do with his character, what he is like, which brings us to the second point. The Lord is gracious, righteous, merciful, and watchful. Look at verses five and following. Gracious is the Lord and righteous. Our God is merciful. He is literally full of mercy. The Lord preserves the simple. 
When I was brought low, he saved me. Return, O my soul, to your rest, for the Lord has dealt bountifully with you. For you have delivered my soul from death, my eyes from tears, my feet from stumbling. The reason you can be 100% confident that he will hear and respond to you is because of who he is, his character, what he is like. As you read the Bible, you learn all about this God who made heaven and earth, but didn't leave us. Rather, he engaged us, sent Jesus into this mess and chaos to restore and to redeem. And then we learn in the psalm that God is gracious. He is full of undeserved favor that you and I could not ever work up enough to, to warrant. And he gives it to us freely. He is righteous. He is just. He is holy. He, ups, he upholds a right standard. And he is merciful. He is filled with compassion and mercy. He loves picking us up and cleaning us up and washing us off and getting us back on our feet again because he is filled with mercy. And he's watchful. He watches over us in his providence. He cares for each of us. The whole idea of this series in the Psalms it was to provoke us to, to sing through every season to be able to worship the Lord in the most difficult moments of our lives and in the most glorious moments of our lives. And the only way that is possible is if we really have encountered God in His character and really believe He is who He says He is. If you get your mind around that and you get your heart around that, then no matter what happens in your daily life, there will be cause there will be reason to worship, to bow down, to celebrate, to joyfully proclaim the goodness of the Lord. I know a lot of people are coming and going this morning. Some were away and some are back. Maybe summer did not go how you had planned. Your faith kind of took a nosedive. You compromised in ways you did not expect or hope that you would compromise. You, you just feel like a, a wreck. But you love the Lord and you just don't know what happened. Well, here's what you need to do. You need to run to the Lord. Own your sin. Turn from your sin. And receive mercy. Don't put yourself on indefinite probation with the Lord. No, call out to Him. And He will respond with Mercy. Look at verse 7 and 8 again. Return, O my soul, to your rest. He's, he's speaking to himself. For the Lord has dealt bountifully with you. Bountifully. It's this abundance of grace and mercy. For you, Lord, have delivered my soul from death. My eyes from tears. My feet from from stumbling, it's this, this combination of a mess. My soul from death. I was on the, the brink of death. My eyes from this 
tears that maybe were endless at times because of the grief and sorrow of my heart. My feet from stumbling. I was on the edge of a cliff and I almost went over. And yet the Lord saved me, rescued me, restored me over and over again. So maybe summer didn't go as you had planned. Keep running back to the Lord. The Lord is this endless well of grace and mercy, and he will give you power to turn. He will give you strength to obey and to follow him. One of the things I love about this psalm is the progression of the psalm, how it develops. So the last section we see the psalmist, he he has rehearsed what he's experienced. He is filled with gratitude for it. And the response is, he is all in for the Lord. He is devoted. He is committed. Lord, I will be all in, not just in private, but before others, because of your grace, your mercy, your love, your kindness that I have experienced. Look at verses 9 through 19. He's like planting his flag in the ground. I will walk before the Lord in the land of the living, among those who are alive. I will will walk. I will live in an obedient way before the Lord in the land of the living. I don't care how how hate-filled they are towards the Lord. I will walk. I will boldly and humbly walk as a follower of Jesus among the people in the land of the living He says, I believed even when I spoke. I am greatly afflicted. I said in my alarm, all mankind are liars. That was as low point. What shall I render to the Lord for all his benefits to me? I will lift the cup of salvation and call on the name of the Lord. I will pay my vows to the Lord in the presence of all his people. Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. O Lord, I am your servant. I am your servant, the son of your maidservant. You have loosened my bonds, my shackles. I will offer to you a sacrifice of thanksgiving and call repeatedly on the name of the Lord. I'll pay my vows to the Lord in the presence of all his people in the courts of the house of the Lord. In your midst, O Jerusalem, praise the Lord. I will walk before the Lord. I am following you. See, Jesus calls us to be his disciples. To be a disciple is to be a follower of Christ. And to be a follower of Christ is to follow what he tells us to do. We've been rescued. Now we want to follow. We want to follow at IUP. We want to follow in our workplace. We want to follow in our neighborhoods. We want to follow in our family. We want to follow him. Then he says, In verse 10, I believed even when I spoke. I am greatly afflicted. So he has this hope, this confidence, but his circumstance is so difficult. He's greatly afflicted. He's in turmoil. You've probably been there. I've been there where your mind knows one thing, you, you feel something else, and you're just this churned up mess. I believe I'm afflicted, I don't know if I can trust the people around me. It's basically what he's saying. He reacts in a sinful way. All mankind are liars. 
Nobody came to my rescue. Nobody came to my help. They're all liars. Now he, he wrestles through this. He doesn't stay there. And that statement was an overstatement. Not all men are liars. You know people that found the Lord and seeking to be honest before the Lord and and that's, the, that's what we want to be to others. But when you're in duress, and maybe those you thought were going to come to your aid did not come to your aid, you can, you can want to pull back. You can want to withdraw. You, I don't know who I can trust anymore. Lord, I'm, I'm all by myself. The beautiful thing is he doesn't stay there. He quickly moves back to the Lord. And this verse 10, I believed even when I spoke. Paul actually quotes it in 2 Corinthians 4.13 to underscore the importance of walking by faith and not by sight. We just get into trouble when we interpret the Lord through our circumstances. Resist that. Interpret the Lord through His perfect Word, not through the challenging situation you might be in the middle of. So he wrestles through that, and then he, he pulls himself out right away. It's like a, he talks to himself, and he, 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 he's, he pulls himself right back up. Look at verse 12. What shall I render to the Lord for all his benefits to me? So he's looking inward. He's looking at the people around him. Oh, no, I need to look upward to the Lord. Oh, wow, I have received so many benefits. I will lift up the cup of salvation and call on the name of the Lord. He has a little conversation with himself, reminds himself of the Lord's grace and mercy and care. He lifts up this cup of salvation. Now in the Bible, we also learn about the cup of wrath, the cup of God's judgment. That's the cup that Jesus asked God the Father in the Garden of Gethsemane to pass from him. Lord, if it's possible for this cup, this cup of wrath, this cup of your holy hatred for sin that's about to be on me, if it's possible for it to move on, may that happen. But he surrenders, submits himself to the Father's will. And so when he is mounted on the cross... He's experiencing excruciating pain physically. But the worst part of the crucifixion was the cup of wrath that was poured out upon him for the sins of all the world, your sins and mine. And Jesus absorbed the punishment perfectly. He drank it fully upon himself. So that if we trust in Jesus, we hold up a cup of salvation We are not objects of God's wrath anymore. We are objects of God's mercy. We have eternal life. We do not have to fear the grave in any way because Jesus died in our place. So God has dealt bountifully with us and we will hold up this cup of salvation. Then the psalmist says in verse 14, I will pay my vows to the Lord in the presence of his people. And what most commentators believe he's talking about here, and I think it's reasonable, it makes sense, is when he was in his situation of duress, 
he made some promises, some commitments to the Lord. Kind of like if then. If, Lord, if you do this, then I will do this. And there's, there's different ways we can do that. We can do that like I used to do in a te- as a teenager. Lord, if, if I could just not like get arrested right now, that would be great. And I will follow you forever. But it wasn't sincere. Um, he was sincere. And so he, he, is, he is making himself accountable to those vows, those commitments. As a Christian, especially early on in my Christian life, I made some vows to the Lord, some commitments to the Lord that no one told me to do that just were natural responses to what the Lord had done in my life and what I saw in the Scriptures. And one such promise I made to the Lord was inspired by this passage in Luke 17, 11 through 19. I remember making this vow, this commitment, when I was at IUP. I was, I think, in the Oak Grove. I was considering this passage, and I was a brand new Christian. And uh, this is what it says. On the way to Jerusalem, this is talking about Jesus, he was passing along between Samaria and Galilee. And as he entered a village, he was met by ten lepers who stood at a distance. Just a little detail with leprosy. Terrible skin disease. Um, you, you look physically grotesque at its worst. Uh, you can't feel. Um, worst case, parts of your, your hands can fall off. I mean, it's just this debilitating, terrible disease. But that wasn't the worst of it. The worst of it was, according to the Old Testament law, you had to be removed from the people. And so you were separated from your family, from your friends, and you were in a community of lepers. You were, you were an outcast. You were, if you came upon people, you'd have to declare yourself unclean. Jesus knows the Jewish law better than anyone, which is what makes it so significant. So, he encounters the lepers. They stood at a distance because that's what they were told to do. And they lifted up their voice saying, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. And when he saw them, he said to them, Go and show yourself to the priest. And as they went, they were cleansed. In another account, he actually touches a leper. Which, according to the Old Testament, what Jesus would have made became unclean immediately, but rather than becoming unclean, the leper was healed. Jesus didn't need to touch him to heal him, though. So in this case, there's 10 men and women who have been isolated from their friends and family. They call out to Jesus for mercy. He saw them. He said, go show yourself to the priests. The priests had to declare them clean. And as they went back, they were cleansed. Then one of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back, praising God with a loud voice. He's looking. He's he's seeing. I am clean. And he's, he's feeling the weight of that new reality and what that means for him socially, what that means for his family, what that means for his friends. And he is just overwhelmed. He turns back, praising God with a loud voice. Thank you, Lord, for giving me my life back. Thank you. And he fell on his his face at Jesus' feet, 
giving him thanks. Jesus, thank you for restoring my life. Thank you. To make matters worse, according to a faithful Jew, we learn a detail, Luke tells us, that, that's important. He was a Samaritan. He wasn't even Jewish. He wasn't purely Jewish. He was a Samaritan. Jesus didn't care. He had great mercy on them. Jesus answered, and this is the part that gets to my vow, my commitment. We're not ten clean, cleansed. We're, weren't there ten? Where are the other nine? Was no one found to return and give praise to God except this foreigner? And he said to him, Rise and go your way. Your faith has made you well. I remember first reading that. That was so deeply impressed on my heart. I remember praying and pleading with the Lord. Lord, by your grace, I will never shrink back from telling people, anybody who will listen, why I'm free now. How I got saved. Why I'm not enslaved to certain substances anymore and a certain lifestyle anymore. You did it all. And I'm going to tell by the grace of God, the Lord has helped me to do that. There is a right level of commitment and response to the Lord. I think for some of you, this psalm may be a stirring of a, just a recommitment to the Lord, a rededication that, Lord, my, my profession in my life, the, the gap has gotten very wide. And I don't want to do that my whole life. May the gap close. May there be consistency in what I say I believe and how that affects my life. Verse 15 says, Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. Precious in the sight of the Lord. It, it's precious to the Lord when a faithful Christian, as John Bunyan says, crosses the river, crosses over from this world to the world to come. Over the years as a pastor, I've gotten to do um, quite a few funerals. I've done funerals for those who rejected Jesus completely. I've done funerals of those who have professed Jesus, but their, their life was just kind of a complicated mess. And then I've done funerals for people that have faithfully, not perfectly, but faithfully lived their life the way the psalmist describes and can I tell you, the moment you and I die, when it is over, we want to be in that last category. You want to be in that last category. That I am all in for Jesus. And for a believer, when they cross over, it's a sweet reunion with the Lord that they have called on by faith. Those of you who are church members know that not that long ago, Willard Turner, Janice's husband, went to be with the Lord. And he, he was a faithful pastor. And then he was since retired when he came to church here and a follower and lover of Jesus. So there's a sorrow, there's a sadness, but there is a rejoicing that he is with his Lord, that he had taught and proclaimed for many, 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 many years. That should be our prayer. Lord, I want to be like that. I want to hear, well done, good and faithful servant. 
And by the grace and the power of the Holy Spirit, you can do that. You can ask the Lord, and he will help you. So look at the last four verses. This man is all in because he received this incredible love. Oh Lord, I am your servant. In case we didn't hear it, I am your servant, the son of your maidservant. You have loosed my bonds. You have set me free. I will serve you. I will live for you. I will use my gifts and abilities for your glory and not my own. I will offer to you a sacrifice of thanksgiving. I will give you thanks and praise at every moment and every opportunity that I can. And I will call on the name of the Lord. I will call and keep calling. I will never stop calling. And boy, does that please and delight the Lord. I will pay my vows to the Lord in the presence of all his people. In case we didn't catch it the first time he said it, I'm, I'm going to do what I said I was going to do, and I'm going to do it in the presence of all the people. And I'm also going to do it in the presence of the Lord, in the courts of his house of the Lord. In your midst, O Jerusalem, praise the Lord. So as we're heading into the fall, maybe for all of us, Lord, give us this fresh commitment and hope that we can be all in for you in every circumstance, in every people group that you put us in so that we give you praise and glory and honor and so that others come to see you for who you are and get to experience your character like we have. So let's all stand. We're going to pray. And if the band could come up, we're actually going to sing a song that is based on Psalm 116. Let's pray. You guys can all stand. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that you are a God of mercy, God of grace, that you are righteous, you are watchful, that you care for your children. Holy Spirit, we pray that you would stir us as we, we sing. Lord, for those who feel there's a gap between what they say they believe and how they live. I pray that gap would close and there would be faith for the closure and there would be fresh mercy given and received. And Lord, we will give you all the glory for that. And we ask this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.